I believe. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the universal Christian church, the communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. It's a very human thing to be able to say, I believe. I believe. And I believe I'm very happy to welcome you today as we gather as the Christ Journey family once again, not only here on our campuses in South Florida, but also across the nation, around the world, wherever you're making connection today. We're glad that you're with us. And as we celebrate together once again, the ability as human beings made in the image of God to say, I believe. And today we are concluding the series on the Apostles' Creed by unpacking the final statement that the earliest followers of Jesus affirmed through the New Testament teachings. I believe in life everlasting. Now living forever isn't necessarily good unless your quality of life is good, right? I mean, if your quality of life, if you're sick or if you're struggling or if you're aging and you imagine that just going on forever, that's not a happy thought. Or if, um, if there's nothing that's engaging or compelling to keep you moving forward, um, then the thought of infinite days of boring is not necessarily life everlasting. I believe in the life everlasting. That's not everlasting life. That's an everlasting life sentence, right? Some of us have trouble being bored for half a day, bored for an hour. Can you imagine being infinitely bored? Just on the hamster wheel forever and ever and ever. So when we say life everlasting, we got something in mind. Uh, especially in Florida, if you're joining us from somewhere else. You know, Ponce de Leon explored Florida back in the 1500s. You know what he's looking for? You want to say it with me? Fountain of youth. Yeah, we're still looking for it today. But, uh, but you know, he was looking for this fabled fountain where anyone who would drink of it or bathe in it would have their youthfulness restored. It was a quality of life vision. That's the vision that the Apostles' Creed is talking about. That's what this belief is about, life that is eternal in quality and in quantity. So last week we marveled at the wonder of a fully transformed human body, made in the image of God, redeemed by Jesus Christ, and now remade in the image of our Lord and Savior. God's promise to those who are in Christ is a body that is meant for fellowship, for impact, and for contribution forever in the knowing and loving of God. We are meant for communion and knowing the eternal God. Here's what Jesus said. Whoever believes in me, out of their inmost being, will flow rivers of living water. He was talking of the Holy Spirit. By the way, uh, this is where the vision that Ponce de Leon was looking for, they just didn't know that it was found right here in John chapter 7 in the words of Jesus. Jesus said in his high his high priestly prayer of John chapter 17, he said this. This is eternal life. He defines it for us. This is eternal life. To know 
God, that they may know you, he's praying to his Father, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. The word eternal simply translates unending here in this context. And then the Greeks had two words for life, one from which we get biological life, bios, and the other one, zoe, which is speaking about the quality of genuine life, life that gives life, and the quality of life that never ends. That's the one that's used here, zoe. It just keeps on producing more life perpetually. And Jesus said this, I am the resurrection and the life, zoe. The quality of life that just never ends. The one believing in me, Jesus said, will never stop living and coming alive even though their biological body dies. That the truest quality of life keeps on living in us even though our body may die. And in not some spirit ghost way that's floating around on the clouds, that but one day reunited in the imperishable, immortal, fully transformed human body in the likeness of Jesus. And that's the quality of life that just keeps getting more full of life. Day by day by day, you just get more full of the youthful vigor and energy of God's life every day. Now let me do a little cosmology study real quickly here. Um, Yes, we were made as human beings in a natural world. Why? The Scripture story says, so that you might experience and know a supernatural God. You have capacities that are beyond natural. Maybe you didn't know this, but the world in which we live that is now suffering under the fallenness of sin is going to be restored into a supernatural experience and Christ, as our Lord, wants you to be in on it with him, and that's where your body is going to come in. Let me give you some backstory on that. The story begins in the Garden of Eden, where God put his image bearers, male and female, Adam and Eve, and then gave them opportunity to freely choose for or against him. And as the story tells us in Genesis chapter 3, humanity sinned, disobeyed, deliberately by taking the forbidden fruit. And then death enters into our story. So God acts in, a, in, a, in an act of severe mercy and has the human beings removed from the garden. Why? Why? Well, because they had not tasted of the tree of life yet, but if they go to the tree of life in an experience of death, separated from God, Are they at risk of being eternally separated from God in an experience of death forever? So guess what God does? He removes them from the garden because access to the tree of life would leave them in a state of eternal death. He posts an angelic guard to save them and us, their posterity, from immediate futility, locked forever into a separation from his life. And then instead sets in motion the plan of redemption. That's the storyline behind the gospel. Now, on one of the early messages that I brought in this series, I was handed a note, a scrawled out note, right after a message that simply said, 
Why do religions insist on claiming exclusivity as if, you know, they claim that their way is the only way to God? Well, I can't speak to other religions today, but I just want to tell you what the apostles of Jesus believed. Why did they believe Jesus was the way? It's revealed in the creed, and we've unpacked it now, and it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And here's the summary statement of that. The God who, who is the creative, empowering genius behind all that is made us, human beings, to know him in a personal way. And then when the devastation of sin threatens to spoil it all, what does God do? God enters the mess of fallen human experience through a human being. He comes in Jesus Christ as the one who would not only meet us in our human suffering, but also do justice. And then in the process, conquer sin, conquer death, and then rise to life and say, I will put my life in your life. And then as those who are coming alive in community, he gives birth to something, a flawed community called church that's full of love and forgiveness and hope and opportunity, but we are flawed. And, uh, and after this term of life is done, then Christ returns and transforms all of humanity into its glorious fullness where we can know God and grow in love forever. That's the summation. That's why they believe this is the way. And that's why the Apostle John wrote, whoever trusts in the Son has eternal life. Eternal life doesn't start when you die. It starts the split second that you accept the life giver into your heart, mind, soul, and body. Then the Spirit of, God, of Christ, the Holy Spirit, comes alive in us. His life begins immediately. And, um, and it all happens as a gift. Salvation is not an earned commodity. It is not a matter of passing a religious test in order to deserve it. It's not a matter of pursuing the right rituals five times a day, five times a week, you know, the right months of the year that you celebrate. It's not that way at all. It's not a matter of always doing what living up to your moral regulations and rules that earn you or deserve God's love. No, it's a gift that he gives to us as a personal knowing in relationship. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ, knowing God intimately. So the Apostle Paul, who said, you know, I kind of came late to the dance on this one, but I met Jesus personally on the road to Damascus. And then he writes a little bit later a letter to a group in Philippi, and he says, this is the, my whole life goal right now. This is, this is the whole purpose of it all. I just want to know Christ. I want to know him experientially, personally, relationally. There's a difference between knowing about somebody you've read in a book, like Abraham Lincoln. You know, I know about him. Wouldn't it be something to know Abraham Lincoln? Well, that's what he's saying. You can know Christ and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, and somehow then he kicks into this mystery place, which is where we are today. Somehow I'm going to attain the resurrection of the dead. There is life beyond this life. And that's my goal in this life, a personal knowing. Now, there was a time in Jesus' public ministry when many, many people turned away from him. He, uh, he dipped in popularity. And they left. They had been following him. 
And then they just left. And Jesus turned to his 12, the apostles, and he asked them, are you going to leave too? To which Peter said, Lord, you know, where are we going to go? You alone have the words of eternal zoe. It's like, okay, we tried that, we tried that, we tried that, and now we've had some of this, and oh my goodness, where are we going to go? You have the words of life, and we believe, there it is. See, belief is something a human being does, to choose to trust and enter a relational understanding that can enlarge your life capacity. We believe, and now we know. That's a relational word. Not just in my head. I have now the experiential knowledge that you are the Holy One of God. Now, why do we believe this? Because the apostles believed it. Why do they believe it? Because Jesus taught it. And not only did Jesus teach it with his words, he validated it with his actions. He he showed it in his miracles. And then when he predicted, I'm going to die, but then I'll be back, he did it. And then for 40 days, they were there when he appeared, and he let them touch him. They ate together. He was in his resurrected body on the other side of dying into a new reality from which they saw him lift off. This is like, this is where it came from. Well, what does it mean? It means that through Christ, you share his relationship of knowing God. That's the whole point behind the whole gospel. Why did he come? so that you could know God in his relationship. And the relationship that he has with his father, he says, I want you, to, I want you in on it. So that he says this, so when you pray, would you pray this way? Our father, I'm going to share my relationship with you. And then he says, and then when you, when you ask in my name, my father pays attention. So we're, we're supposed to pray to our father. He says, then you ask in my name. And then he says, and I'm going to put my spirit inside of you. So what he's trying to do is just say, the relationship that Jesus Christ had with God the Father, he's saying, now I want you in on that. And that's the whole purpose of my coming. This is eternal life. This is the endless knowing that keeps getting younger because you're connected with me in the Father. If you were to overhear Jesus praying, do you ever, you ever walked in on anybody when they're praying? You ever overhear them when they're praying? If you were to overhear Jesus praying in John chapter 17, the night before he went to the cross, you would have heard him say something. Well, this is what John said he heard. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, this is Jesus praying. The world really is clueless when it comes to you. They don't know you, but I know you. I know you, and they know that you sent me, and, uh, and I have made you known to them, and I'm going to continue to make you known. How is he going to do that? He's going to show you what love looks like on a cross. This is how the Father feels about you. I came to go to the cross on your behalf so that you would know how much you're loved, and that's exactly what he says next. In order that the love you have for me may be in them. And I, myself, in them. How does that happen? Well, you have the capacity to know God personally through Jesus Christ and then experience and share the oneness of spirit that comes from that. 
And that's at the heart of what Christianity is. Christianity is about knowing God personally and then growing in faith and love as you follow him. Being invited into the same circle of oneness that Father, Son, and Spirit have. Jesus said, come in here with me. And now we're in that circle of quality life. The quality of life that only gets more and more alive the longer you're in it, as you yield to God's love, his life just keeps coming alive and more alive and more alive. So I said in the last message when we were together that, uh, and this really is true about my experience as well, but I believe this is true perhaps about yours, that when you come to know God for the first time and you trust Jesus in the forgiveness of sin and you invite his spirit to come into your life, that perhaps your capacity for God is about the size of a thimble. Because there have been lots of other stuff filling every other part of you, right? So you've got about a thimble capacity. But you know what? When your thimble is full of God, then you're full of God, right? But you know what happens? Then as your hunger starts being fed, we feed on the Word of God, we talk to Him in prayer, and we, we start growing, then our capacities start enlarging, and now we've got a cup size. You know, and then you say, Lord, fill my cup. And when your cup is full of God, then guess what? You're fully alive in God. But then he starts saying things like this. Now, you know what? I want you to serve. And I want you to learn how to give. And I want you not only to receive my love, but share my love. And what's happening? You are increasing your capacity some more so that now you're pint size in Christ. What size are you in Christ? And then as you're a pint, but when you're a full pint, oh, my goodness, your life is full of God. But he's saying, i got greater capacity for you. You're made in my image. I'm filling you up. He starts saying things like, I want you to forgive like I forgive. I want you to move outside of your comfort like I do because of love. I want you to join me in taking the steps of sacrifice that will show how love really lives. And as we do that, guess what happens? Oh, my goodness, yeah, there's sometimes suffering involved. There's distance and disappointment involved. There's hardship involved. But next thing you know, your capacity is like gallon size. And you've discovered you've gone deeper, you're spreading wider, you're growing higher than you've ever been because you're being remade in the image of Jesus Christ and his spirit is filling you with all of his fullness. This is how it works. This is what discipleship is. Discipleship is the process by which God enlarges your capacity to make more room for himself inside of you. And you get to determine how much room God gets in your life. You and I don't know a lot about each other, do we? But we know this much. You've got as much of God in your life as you want. And Christians, God is saying, your discipleship as you develop and obey. Here's the heart of discipleship is just follow Jesus. Do what he says. Take the next step of obedience. Respond in love and watch your capacities enlarge. And as you expand those capacities, then you make more room for blessing. This is the whole thought behind the book that God has graced me to write. Upside down kingdom. It's just saying this is how God enlarges our capacities to make more room for himself and increase 
blessing space in your life so that when you come in, he says, how blessed the poor in spirit in the Beatitudes. You're, you're maybe a thimble size, but he, by the end of the Beatitudes, he's saying, oh, you're numbered among the prophets of God. you got capacity that's making a difference in time and eternity. It's increasing our capacity and the quality of life that enlarges your life to a quality that never ends until the prayer of Paul in Ephesians 3.19 comes true in your life. This is what Paul prayed. I pray that out of his glorious riches, that the God who has made you and now redeemed you, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Think about that. Your life as a human being, male, female, made in his image, has capacity to experience the measure of the fullness of God? Are you kidding me? If that's my destiny, then I want in on that. In the brief span of my few years, if my humanity can be crammed so full of God in a quality way that's going to fill eternity and make it meaningful, then I would like to have some of that. NASA tries to explore outer space Jesus says, I want to show you how to develop inner space. Because the God who loves you and knows you from the inside out has created you that he might occupy you and go deep, high, wide, far. Now, I don't know if that appeals to you at all. Um, truly, maybe it doesn't. Because that's not really what we think about. That's not where we live. You know, where we live is in the now. We say, man, this life is all there is. So you better go for it. And this is all we know. So this is what we want. We want more in the life that we now have. More what? Well, like I'm thinking less relational drama, more domestic tranquility. Can I get an amen? Anybody want that? Anybody want more peace in your life? So that when you come out of a hard day, you can actually get a good night's rest. That's what we want. We want more. We want more money. We want more money. We want more sex. We want more power, right? We want more. We want more in this life because we've been taught to believe this is all there is. So you better go for more in this life because you're going to miss it when this life is over. So parents, you know what we want. We want our kids to do more of what we tell them. You know, just try it once. See what happens. Right? More. We want more, more, more. And there's a reason that human beings want more, because you were made for more. You were meant for more. So much more that only God can fill it up. You're wired for God, and we're distracted. We're going over there, and we're trying that, and we're trying to fill up on this junk food, and it's not satisfying because you were meant for God. Life everlasting in quality, not just length of days. More than immediate trend. Temporary gratification. More than the taste of forbidden fruit. That's one of the devil's favorite lies. You know, you just need to get what you want. I want more of my way. That's what's going to satisfy you. No, it won't. That's why Jesus came to say, no, God's way is what's going to satisfy you because God's way is full of life everlasting. But here's the thing. If we're ever going to get there, we're going to have to grow into it. Because our spiritual capacities have been stolen. 
And when Jesus comes into our life and starts saying, will you trust me, will you follow me, then it's a step of obedience that says, yes, I will. And then as we start obeying him, then our capacities start enlarging. Deshauna Barber is a woman of color. She's a captain in the United States Army, in the, and she's the first woman actively serving in a full, that was uh, in the military service to be crowned Miss U- USA, 2016. Uh, in her commencement speech that she gave at the Virginia State University, she tells how her mom bought her her first pair of track shoes when she made the middle school uh, track team. And her mom walks into the house carrying a bag that has a Nike swoosh on it. And she said, you know, she had her attention because we didn't see a lot of new shoes in her life growing up. And, um, and then she got them out of the bag and she sees on the side of the box it says size 9. Well, in seventh grade, Deshaun is a size 5. So she gets them out of the box, she slides her foot in, and she says, Mom, uh, these shoes are too big. And her mom says, I know, I did that on purpose. She said, Mom, why, why would you buy shoes that are too big on purpose? Mom said, because I know you're going to grow into them. This is God's way. That he puts his spirit in you, and you're too small right now. But he's got more that can help fill up the space as you grow. you got to increase your capacity. How do you do that? You say yes when God calls. You follow his prompting. You obey his word. You seek to align your life to what his will is for your life. And then your capacities start increasing. And then God fills up that thimble, cup, pint, gallon, 15-gallon. You know, bring it on, Lord. The universe, he says, the full measure of the fullness of God. Why would you want to settle for a less than life? When Jesus is saying, this is why I came. This is what the apostles said. This is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. He's already done it. You don't earn it. It's a gift. It's an unending source of youthfulness that keeps making you younger on the inside. Though on the outside, other things are happening. On the inside, God has given us life, and this life is in his Son. So he who has the Son has life. He who has not the Son doesn't have life. If I gave you my wallet right now, what would you have? Well, maybe less money than you'd think, but whatever's in my wallet, you would have all of it. If, I, if you had my wallet, you would have everything in it. They come together. That's what John is saying. When you receive Jesus Christ, God's Son, you get everything that comes with him. And he brought eternal life, life everlasting. But if you haven't received the Son, then you don't have it. Because he wants to give it to you so that his forgiveness and his spirit, his eternal quality of life in relating to the Father can immediately become yours. Not because you're good enough, but because you have trusted him and are taking the step of obedient faith. Now, how do you do that? Here's what Jesus said. Look, I'm standing at the door and I'm knocking. If anyone opens the door, then I will come in. The life will begin. The wallet brings the wealth. So when you open your life to Christ, he brings God's life into your life. How do you do that? It's a conversation that we call prayer. And I would like to offer a prayer right now for anyone who would like to take that step with me as we bow. Lord Jesus, 
if this is true, if this is real, I don't want to miss it. I want in on it. So I am opening my life to your life. Come into my life. Forgive my sins. Fill me with your spirit and start expanding the capacities of my spiritual life to experience you. I trust you as my Savior, and I will follow you as my Lord. Make me the person you dream me to be. Amen. Our head-